appreciate opening up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9 while the choir is, is coming down. And uh, and that's the thing is we, are, we were singing the name of Jesus, we we're speaking the name of Jesus, but uh, Jesus is more than just a word. Jesus is more than just a name. Uh, he is a name, but that name represents a person. That name represents God. And He is real. He was real in Nehemiah's day. He was the one that was meeting with them and calling them and changing them and doing some amazing things. And He is the one that is at work in the world around us today and doing amazing things in churches and college campuses and uh, in people's lives all across our nation, all across this world. I mean, even today as we are gathering here for our 8.30 service, you know, early in the morning and stuff, already there have been churches that have been meeting and gospel being proclaimed and people that have given their lives to Jesus all across this world already today. And there are more to come. And I pray that some of those will be right here in Florence, Alabama. Uh, right here in our church. And if that's you, uh, God did not bring you here just to hear a message. He brought you here to experience a life-changing reality, which is exactly who He is. Uh, he will save you. He will redeem you. He will forgive you. He will wash you white as snow. There is power in the name of Jesus, and there is power in the blood of Jesus to redeem us and save us. And if you have experienced that, why are you not walking in it? <laughs> Why are you not worshiping the one who has done that work in our lives? And in chapter 9 of, of Nehemiah, uh, we are seeing a, a, an experience of revival. This is when revival comes. It is coming in Nehemiah's day to the, the people of God. If you remember last week, we looked at the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. Uh, this sacred assembly, they're reading the Word of God, and the Word of God talks about how they were to to have this festival, uh, a week-long festival celebrating God's goodness and God's blessing and reading the Word of God and, and, and worshiping God. And they did that. And then at the end of that time, they're supposed to have this sacred assembly uh, to worship God. But they changed it up a little bit because they recognized that they were not in the place uh, of giving God the worship that He was deserving of. And so it became a call to repentance, a call to, to get their hearts right with the Lord. And they called it an assembly of those who have been holding back. That's what they had been doing. They had been holding back in their obedience to the Lord. They had been holding back in their service and worship to the Lord. And so they said, we're not going to hold back anymore. And so in, in, in the beginning of chapter 9, as they began to, to meet there, they began to let things loose, to, to let go of the restraints and not hold back anymore in the dying to themselves. They were stopping uh, uh, from living for themselves and, and separating themselves from the world. They weren't going to hold back anymore in that. They weren't going to hold back anymore in the confessing of their sin and the obedience to the Word of God and worshiping God and in calling out to God. Matter of fact, that's what led into the rest of chapter 9 because the rest of chapter 9 is this prayer, not only of the leadership of God's people, but the prayer of the people of God to God. This was their calling out to the Lord. This is where they were not holding back. And at the end of this prayer, at the end of Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 38, they, they, they make this statement where they say, and because of all of this, because of all this, we 
make a sure covenant. And we write it. And our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. They're saying, we are making a sure covenant. And, and if you look there uh, in, the, uh, in the New King James, and the original King James as well, that the, the word covenant is, uh, uh, is, is in uh, italics there and stuff because that word is not, it's just helping us to understand. Really, they're just saying, we're doing a sure thing here. We're making a sure commitment, a sure covenant, a sure thing before the Lord. That word sure there, it has the, the root of certainty in it. It means a certain thing that we're doing. It really means to be firm, to be solid, and, and, and it's actually used of, 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 a, of a parent that's not going to drop the baby, that the parent is holding on to that baby so tight that, you know, and, and he'd been there for, I remember when, uh, uh, when Hannah was little, and uh, uh, David and Hannah, we had spent some time up in Indiana, and we had a, a nice place that we stayed in up there, there's a little cottage uh, that was on this lake there that they, they put us in while we were doing, we were serving in the, in the community there, a, a new church plant that was there and helping them get established and did a lot of things. But it had this, this uh, uh, up at the top of the hill where this cottage was, it had a, uh, uh, a, uh, a hammock that was there, this big hammock. And it was big enough that me and David and Hannah, which they were just toddlers at that time, could get in there. And so we'd been down by the lake and stuff and we're coming up and I had Hannah wrapped up and bringing her up the steps and getting there and I sat down in that hammock. Uh, when I sat down in that hammock, the hammock flipped. <laughs> and the thing was is that I landed flat on my back, but I held on to Hannah. That's the idea of certainty. If, if I was good, somebody was going to hit their head, it was going to be me. If somebody was going to break their back, it was going to be me. If somebody was going to break their, their, their arm, it was going to be me that it was going to, going to do that. And that's the idea of it here. It's a sure thing. Hannah wasn't going to get hurt. I might have gotten hurt, but she wasn't going to get hurt. And that's the idea of sureness and, and certainty here that they're saying this is a sure commitment that we are making here. We're not going to let let, hold on to these things anymore. We're not going to let go of God. We're making this covenant. And the thing about it is, and this is what I've been struggling with all week, is how can you be sure? I mean, this is the nation of Israel. These are the Jews, okay? How can you be sure? I'm reminded of that. If, you, if you've seen on, I know it's on uh, some of the local channels, a commercial uh, that is advertising a method of getting rid of debt and everything. And, and there's this uh, uh, motivational speaker who went through the process, and he's sharing some of that. And he's talk, he talks about his relationship with his wife and that when he began to be a motivational speaker and began to make money doing that, and he told her that she could stop her job because he was making it big and everything. And she looked at him and said, Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? And of course, what he was once he got rid of the debt and things like that, she was able to to to, to do that. But but the thing about it is, is that's that's what kept bringing. Are how can you be sure? Are are you sure? Now every one of us here, I mean, we just sang a great worship song and stuff like that, and we're all shouting and we're all and we want to serve God, don't we? We want to do what's right, but how can you be sure that you will? How can you know? And in particular here with the. The nation of Israel, what, what difference, what, what, is, what has changed here? Now, in verse 38, before he says we make a sure covenant, he makes this statement. He says, because of all this, 
because of, of, of all of this, we make a sure covenant. Which brought me to the conclusion, I need to know what all this is. <laughs> I need to know what all this. What, 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 makes us, what brings us to that point where we can be sure? Not just sure that we're going to be saved but where we can surely serve the Lord the way he deserves to be served and give him what he is worthy of. Listen, it's not listening to a sermon that does that. It's not getting in and studying a bunch of books about the Bible that does that. It is meeting Jesus face to face that does that. And that's what's going on with these people. They're meeting with Jesus. And I pray that today we will meet with Jesus. This is the first thing I, I want us to see that all this is that, first of all, there was a sure God. When he says, because of all this, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about God. And our God is a sure God. You see, sometimes in, in our past, when we look back at our past, we see an up and down in our commitment. And, and sometimes our level of commitment, our level of obedience, our level of worship, it, it, it changes. But let me tell you, there's one thing that has not changed, that has never changed, and that will never change, and that is Jesus. He is a sure God. He always is what he's always, always has been and will always be what he always is. Matter of fact, that's his name. He is the great I am, which means I will always be what I've always been and I, will, uh, I am what I am right now. I will always be. You can trust him. And by trusting him, I mean holding nothing back. Not holding anything back. No safety net to catch you other than Jesus himself. And he is enough. Step out on the water. Step out in obedience to him. Step out in full surrender to him. All these things that we've been holding on. Listen, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in Jesus himself. And you can trust him. Notice back in verse 5 how he begins to describe this sure God. At the beginning of their prayer, it says in verse five it says in the Levite now they had just it's just said in verse four that they were crying out all of them were crying out with a loud voice to the Lord their God so this is the prayer of God's people and it says in the Levites Jeshua Kadmiel Bani Hashabaniah Sherebiah Hodijah Shebaniah and Pethahiah uh, said <laughs> they said this is what they said they said stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name. We were just singing about it. Which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the sea and all that is in them. And you preserve them all and the host of heaven worships you. You. 
This is our God. This is the sure God. And by the way, the same God that we're worshiping today is this God that they were worshiping 2,400 years ago. It's him. What is he like? Well, let me just say real quickly here. First of all, he is fully glorious. He says there, and he says, blessed be your glorious name. And he's saying everything about you is glorious. Matter of fact, that's what the word glorious means. It means to be full, to overflowing. And that's what God is. You want to know what love is? Look at Jesus. He is the fullness of love. Everything that we know about love, he is even more than that and overflowing uh, in that. You want to know what holiness and purity looks like? Look at Jesus. He is the fullness of holiness, the fullness of purity cannot be anything else but holy and pure. You want to know what perfection looks like? Don't look at any man on the face of this earth. Look at Jesus. He is the one who is perfect in everything that he does. He cannot do wrong. He is the one that is more beautiful. We look at the world around us. We look at the people that God has created and we talk about beauty, but there is no beauty compared to Jesus. He is the fullness of of beauty. He is the fullness of joy and therefore he deserves full trusting, full surrender, full worship. He is fully glorious. That's him. Nothing compares to him. He is universally exalted. It says at the end of verse 5, which is exalted above all blessing and all praise. In other words, he is above everything. Whatever it is you want to praise, whatever it is you want to exalt, he is above that. Matter of fact, it doesn't even just say he's above those things. He says he's above all blessing and praise. It means we give the highest praise that we can give. We give the loudest shout that we can give. We give the, the, the the highest worship that we can give and he is worthy of even more than that. That's who he is. He is universally exalted. He is exclusively Lord. It says there in verse 6, you alone are the Lord. There is no other God. There is no other Lord than him. And that word Lord is in all capital letters. It's a personal name for God. Yahweh God. Jehovah God. And that talks about how he is the the only God that works in our lives. Because he's the only God there is. He's the one that made us. He's the one that created us. He's the one that comforts us. He's the one that works in us and around us. He alone cares for us. The only God there is is a God who cares for you and loves you and made you and will take you to heaven to be with him forever if you'll put your trust in him alone. He was the the only God then. He was the exclusive God then and he is the exclusive God today. He's universally, he's exclusively Lord. He is also the sole creator. It says you alone are the Lord and you, verse 6, have made heaven. Matter of fact, you talk about you made heaven and we talk about the sky and the stars and everything that is out in the universe around us, but he not only made heaven, he made the heaven of heavens and all their hosts. He made the place of eternal dwelling and he made this earth and everything on it. By the way, everything includes us as well. And the seas and all that is in them And you preserve them all. Genesis 1 says God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. 
He spoke it into existence. And this is what he's talking about here when he talks about he made them. He, he spoke everything into existence, but the word made here means that he takes everything that he has already made that he spoke into existence and he forms it and he fashions us. He didn't just make Adam. He makes us, the descendants of Adam, and he forms us and he fashions us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before we were even born, God formed us in our, in our mother's womb with the traits and personalities that, that, that we would have to look like we look, to, to serve him, to honor him. To, he's the one that made us, and he's the one that formed us. He is the sole creator, and he is worthy of worship. It says in verse 6 there that the host of heaven worship you. In other words, the, the angelic beings, the, 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 the majestic spiritual beings, they, they worship him. The host always worship him because they, they know everything about him. But here we we are the ones that, that were made in the image of God and created to worship him. But we must go down because of sin and we must get rid of the sin and bow before him and give him the worship that he is. The, we are nothing. He is everything. And that's what it means to worship him for us to drop down on our knees and bow before the only one who is worthy of being bowed before. He's worthy of our worship. He's a sure God. This is our God. This is our God. And we need to give him what he is worthy of. And so now we begin to get into the meat of this prayer. And we see a sure grace. He took those first two verses to talk about who God is. Now he's going to talk about what he does. What he has done and what he does how he does it and why he does it and this is why he deserves a sure surrender I want to read through these verses and, and listen to me this is the word of God matter of fact whenever I say this is the word of God the proper response is and we believe it this is the word of God and we believe it. there you go and we need to respond to the Word of God. This is the most important part of my message. It's not my running commentary or what I have to say, but it's what God has already said. And I, wanna, I want you to know invitation time has started. And as I'm reading this, if God speaks to you about something that you need to come and get this altar and get right with Him, please do that. If he begins convicting you about something, if he begins to touch your heart in such a way that you just need to come and bow before him and worship him and praise him and thank him as, as he begins to work in your life, let's just, let's just don't hold anything back. Let's do what he's calling on us to do. Matter of fact, if you need to be saved, you don't have to wait till we sing an invitation hymn. You can come forward and give your heart to Jesus right here, right now as we're reading the word of God. So I'm going to read through this, but you listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. And you respond to Him. Because there's this back and forth between them, which is us, okay? Them and Him. They do this, but He does this. 
They do this, but he does this. And I want us to focus that the them is us, and, and it ought to bring conviction, but the focus of this is, 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 is upon him. So let God speak to us today in this hour as we read the word of God. Look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, you are the Lord God. This one he just described here, he says, you, you are the Lord God. And he goes all the way back to Abram. He says, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. This, this man that, that God called that he would make a nation, that the Messiah, that, that the Savior might come through him to redeem all the world. And it says, and he gave him the name Abraham which means father of many nations. He gave him a new reality and a new identity. You see, Abram met Jesus and everything changed. He says in verse 8, and you found his heart faithful before you. Heart faithful. I'm glad he didn't say perfect. We're not called to be perfect. We're just called to be faithful from the heart. Do you have a faithful heart today? He found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him. We'll see this again later. To give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it to his descendants you, God, you, and notice how he's not just talking about God. He's, they're, they're praying to God. They're talking to God and they're saying, God, you, you have performed your words. And by the way, he always does. He always keeps his promise. Says, for you are righteous. We're not, we can't be righteous. We're just called to be faithful, but he is righteous. He is perfect in everything that he does. Verse 9 says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. And by the way, he sees your affliction too. He sees your hurts and he says, and heard their cry by the Red Sea. And he hears our cries too. And you showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. And he does signs and wonders still today, even today too. And against all his servants and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against him. And you made a name for yourself as it is this day. That's when he revealed the name Yahweh. I'm the God who is with you. Right here, right now, I am. And he is right here, right now. He is the great I am. Verse 11 says, and you divided the sea before them. What a miracle. So that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them. The peop your people, these people you brought out, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. Can you imagine every day there being a cloud that is moving in front of you and as a, as a huge group of people you're following that and when the sun goes down it turns into a pillar of fire every day right there showing them that 
that God was leading them, that God was speaking to them, that God was taking care of them. Can you imagine living like that? That's what God did. That's who God is. And he says, and you came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them. Notice it doesn't say spoke with him. He did speak to Moses, but he spoke to them too. God will speak to individuals and God will speak to the group. And just because God has spoken to someone else doesn't mean that God won't speak to you. He spoke to them, spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments, what they needed to live by. And you have made known to them your holy Sabbath. Sabbath was a time for rest and meeting with God. And he called them every week to come to meet with him, to rest from their works. And he would take care of them and to meet with him. And commanded them precepts and statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. And you gave them bread. From heaven for their hunger. That's the manna. Every morning they got up. There's food there. Food there. Not only that, but he brought them water out of a rock for their thirst. And told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly. Pride. Pride leads to destruction. And they hardened their necks, even with a pillar of fire there by night and a cloud by day and manna every morning and water from a rock. They still hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders. And we say, how could they? But how can we abuse the grace that has been poured out upon us? He says, you did it among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But, oh, this is beautiful. But you are God. I'm so thankful he is God. And our God is this God that we're reading about right here. You are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, full of mercy, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. And he, Jesus, did not forsake them. And he has not forsaken us. That's why we're here today. It says even, and he goes, it gets worse. He says even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. It wasn't. Their God was, uh, was, was ready to pardon, abundant in kindness, gracious, merciful. That was their God. And verse 19 says, yet, yet. Your manifold mercies. Aren't you thankful that God has manifold, multiplied mercy upon mercy? You did not forsake them in the wilderness. 
The, look at this. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them day by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them the light and the way they should go. Even while they were rebelling, there was still the cloud, still the fire. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them. Let me stop right there because he's going to mention the Holy Spirit later on too. He says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. I just, when I saw that, I thought, Holy Spirit. And that's who he's talking about, the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit doing here? This is Old Testament. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is doing as far as instructing them, not just saying shame, 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 but pointing them to Jesus because everything the Holy Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will magnify me. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's teaching them. He's instructing them and saying, it's Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Quit your rebelling. Quit your turning away from him. Don't you understand? He's coming. He's coming. And then it says in verse 20, it says, and they did, and this is what Jesus did not do. He did not withhold your manna from your mouth. I would have been tempted to say, okay, if you're going to rebel, then, then you just find your own food. And they'd get up the next morning, there wouldn't be any. But even in their rebellion, every morning they got up, there's manna on the ground. Gave them water for their thirst for 40 years. They walked in rebellion and God still gave them manna every day. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you, Jesus, you, gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon. He even, and, and they still led them into the promised land. They, the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Ah, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven because he said he would. And he brought them in, you brought them into the land uh, which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. So he gave them victory after victory. And look at this, verse 25. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods that they didn't even build. Cisterns already dug that they didn't dig. Vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance that they didn't plant. And they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. God's been good to us. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. And cast your law behind their backs. In other words, they took the law, ripped out the pages, wadded it up, and tossed it behind their back. And killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. That's the prophet's job, to turn the people of God to God. But they killed them. And they worked great provocations. They provoked God. Therefore, 
You delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in their time of trouble, look at this, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers, judges like Samson and Gideon and and others who saved them from the hand of their enemies. And then after they had rest, they'd be delivered. They'd say, thank you, God. But then after a time, they'd again did evil before you. And therefore, you left them in the hands of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned, spiritually returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Why? Because he has many mercies. That word mercy is plural. Mercies. Whatever sin you've got, Jesus has got more mercy. Your sins may be many, but his mercy is more. And testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments. Which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks. They shrugged their shoulders. God said, I love you. And they went, eh. God said, I'll restore you. They went, eh. How many times do we do that to God? They would not hear because they didn't want to hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit. There it is again, your spirit in the prophets. What's the spirit doing through the prophets? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. He's coming. He's coming. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, aren't you thankful for his great mercy? You did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God. I am so glad this is our God. This is our God. This is the one who's calling us to revival. This is the one who's saying, don't hold anything back. Come to me. Come to me. This is him. He says, now therefore, our God that is gracious and merciful, now therefore, right now as they're, they're praying this prayer, they're saying, now therefore, our God, this God, the one that is gracious, the one that is merciful, you, you are the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant. Even when we don't, you keep covenant and mercy. Do not let all the troubles seem small before you. And by the way, our sin is not small. That has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the day of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. In other words, we are guilty for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. We are guilty. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law nor heeded your commandments, your testimonies with which you testified against them, for they have not served you in their kingdom have we or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them nor did they turn from their wicked works 
God's grace is sure because He is sure. And it's time for us to make a sure promise. That's what He's talking about here in these verses. How can, because of all of this, how can I be sure? How can we make a sure covenant? Real quickly here. Notice, first of all, the desire. Our desire. This ought to be our desire is what their desire is. They're saying we make a sure, a sure thing, a sure covenant, a sure commitment, a sure surrender. We make this sure thing with you because this is what we want to do. We want to look at all this as they're praying out to God saying, this is our God. This is you. This is you. You've done this over and over and over again. We want to give you what you're worthy of. We want to give. That's what our heart desires. We want to give you what you deserve. We want to be true. We don't want to go back anymore. We don't want to hold back anymore. We want to give you everything. That's our desire. And that's what he's saying here. And then, the, But there's also our distress and, and their distress that they're going through. They're saying, back in verse 36, it said, here we are, servants today. That's where our heart is. We want to serve you. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants Servants in it. We're, we're in the land, the land that you promised. But the problem is we don't deserve this land. We don't deserve the promise. And in verse 37 it says, And it yields much increase to the kings, the, the kings that you've set over us. In other words, back in Persia, because of our sins also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle, and at their pleasure we are in great distress. Yes, we're here in the promise, but we're not walking in victory. We're not walking in freedom. We're in bondage. That's what the word distress means. It means to be bound up. In other words, our problems are too big. Our sins are too much. We can't get the victory from it. In other words, are like what we talked about at the beginning when they were going through the, the putting the ashes on their head and fasting and, and grieving. They were grieving over their, their flesh. They were grieving over themselves. Our problem is, is our, the me is too big. I can't conquer me. That's our distress, our desires to give God what he's worthy of. I trust that's your desire. The problem is we keep getting in the way. But we can make a sure promise, not because of our desire and certainly not because of our, our distress, but because of his delight. Notice what he says here. He says, we make. What is the we? The we could be just the people saying, we're going to do this for ourselves. But that's not what I think they're saying because of what we just read. They're saying, We. A matter of fact, the we is more you. <laughs> we make a covenant. And that word make means to cut. That's the way the covenant was. You can, I ain't got time to go back to Jeremiah 34, but it talks about how they did not keep their covenant. Uh, and what it has there is that when they make the covenant, they would cut the animals and you'd walk through the people that were making the covenant. One would walk through and then the other would walk through. And basically what they were saying was that if we break this covenant, maybe we split in half like these animals. Problem is, is we don't keep that covenant. But the promise is, his delight is, he's the one that's cut in half. You see, this is how we can make a sure covenant. It's not on the basis of our determination, but it's on the basis of who he is and what he has done. 
He has come in and we are nothing but covenant breakers and he has come in and paid the price for us. The Messiah has come, the one the Holy Spirit was talking about. He's coming, he's coming and he was wounded not for his transgressions, for our transgressions. He was bruised not for his iniquities, but our iniquities. He paid the price for us. He died for us. He was ripped in half for us. His back was shredded for us. He was nailed to a cross for us and he died for us. Us to, that we might have forgiveness for all our covenant breaking, that we might be redeemed, that we might be cleansed. And not only that, but on the third day, God raised him from the dead and he is alive and he has given his spirit so that he can do what we could never do. That's how you keep a sure covenant. You give everything to Jesus. You put everything upon him. You put all your eggs in his basket and say, I can't hold on to you, but I know you will never let go of me. And it's time to quit holding back. It's time for complete release. And let the Holy Spirit of God seal it. If the Word of God doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. You can trust this God. You can trust Him completely. So will you give everything to Him?